So through the grace of God today, um, we'll d- since it's Father's Day, we'll discuss the importance of having a spiritual father and discipleship. Um, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. So there's going to be four kind of main points that we'll discuss. So we'll discuss um, the meaning of being, in, of being a disciple and why it's important. Uh, the second part is we'll see a couple examples and sayings of the early church fathers uh, on discipleship. The third point will be to discuss practical tidbits when dealing with a spiritual father. Um, and the last part will be we'll discuss briefly what discipleship is not. So first, discuss the meaning of being a disciple and why it's important. So who are called to be disciples? Everyone. Everyone. Yes. Yes, that's right. Everyone, we're all called to be disciples of Christ. So the Lord, for the Great Commission, he told the disciples, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Um, so the disciple, so to be a disciple of Christ is not a calling just for, you know, you know, priests or monks or clergy or servants, but the calling is for all peoples and all ages, um, and we're all called to be to be disciples of Christ. And so we have to we have to come to appreciate, I think, for in our, especially in our church, as as established by God that by Christ, that in order to be a disciple of Christ, we one of the best ways to do that is to to become a disciple of of somebody who's has more experience than we do and has more wisdom than we do in order to become a disciple of Christ. So we read in uh, John 8:31 thus the Lord said to his disciples if you abide in my word you are my disciples indeed. So to abide means to stay or to remain. So so he says if you stay or remain in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And so to be a disciple means to be a learner or a pupil or a person being trained. Um, and it's important, you know, with, deci- with part of being a disciple kind of com- comes from the sim- similar word as discipline. Like there's, there's work involved. There's training involved. Um, there's intentionality um, in order to be a disciple. And that's true of any aspect, uh, you know, in the, in the secular world. When we talk about, you know, people who want to be good basketball players, they, you know, f- you know, get under the tutelage of people who are experienced in basketball. Or if people want to be a good tennis player, they, they go to a, a school under this person who's, a, who's known to be, you know, who has won many, many championships in the past. The same is true in business. If you want to be a good businessman, you surround, you surround yourself by people who have proven themselves to be good businessmen, and you, you learn their approach, and you take advantage of their experience because you've seen their success in this area, and then that's a model for you to grow. The same is true in the spiritual life. Um, and this is really crucial because, you know, when we talk about being a disciple, he, this is a sense of, of continuous growing because he says, abide in my word. Abide, stay or remain in his word. There's a sense of, of, um, of permanence, a sense of remaining in the continuous state of growth. There's not a, there's not a time 
any of us should be able to say, okay, I've grown, I've grown to, you know, to a certain spiritual level, and now I can go on my own and do it. No, we should always be abiding in God's word and always have this sense of, of have a spirit of discipleship, always a spirit of always wanting to learn and always wanting to grow to be conformed more to the image of God. So just two points on uh, beginning of discipleship. So first we have to know, we have to count the cost because there's a cost involved with being a disciple of, of God, um, with disciple of Christ. It says, uh, Luke 14, 27, and whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So Christ says, there are many things that Christ says to say, if you do not do this, you cannot be my disciple. If you do not die your father and mother, even your own life, you cannot be my disciple. Uh, they will know you are my disciples by your love. And here's one. He says, if you do not bear your cross and come after me, you cannot be my disciple. The cross, I mean, when you, say, when you read this, what, do you th- what comes to mind? What does this mean to us? Because we may not have a physical cross. We, most of us almost certainly will not have a physical cross um, to bear with, with you know, two beams of wood. But when we hear, when we see this, whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. What does that mean for us today? What does it mean to bear our cross? There are many, there are many answers. Doing the right thing and getting persecuted these days. That's right. That's right. That's very true. You know, when we, th- we're, we're bearing the, the reproach of doing the right thing. And, and like when we read in Matthew, he said, Christ says, blessed are you f- um, when you're persecuted for righteousness sake, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. And um, that's exactly right. Any other examples? Even just maybe following trying to follow God's commandment, even though it may be difficult, it may be challenging, there, um, like within ourselves, like there may not be external persecution, but there may be internal struggle. Like I want to do this, I want to sleep in on Sunday morning, but I decide that, that being in God's house and being a disciple of Christ is more important. That, so that's like, that's a, that's a death of the will, so to speak. That, that's putting God above myself. That's, that's putting death to my will. And my and my passion of and my desire of being um, lazy. Um, so there's many examples of of crosses that we bear every day. Even just an example, you know, of um, of of of, a cro- of bearing a cross is maybe even just a simple thing of somebody cuts you off on the freeway. You say a prayer for them instead of getting angry with them. You know, even though your desire is to get angry and honk the horn and you know have road rage. Like even just simple, simple, small things to where we, where we follow God's commandment contrary to our will and what we want. And that is just a small example of a, of a cross. Um, yeah. Uh, the second part, the second point of beginning uh, discipleship is we have to have this really very humble view of ourselves. We have to, we have to acknowledge our weakness. We have to acknowledge our limitations and our ignorance. And um, like personally, when you know, so what I do in my in my job, I I look at uh, 
I work in a laboratory and I look at skin samples for, for, for I look at, look at skin samples. So dermatologists, they send me skin samples and I look at them and I say if they're cancer or not. And if they're cancer, what kind of cancer? So in the very beginning of me working, I was terrified of reading cases because it, if I look at a sample without much experience, if I'm looking at something, I have to look at it with eyes of, is this something I know or is this something I don't know? And sometimes we don't, sometimes I had to come up with, the, I had to understand in myself that I don't know what I don't know. Does that make sense? Like there's some sense of ignorance, like nobody knows anything about any subject. And if I get it wrong, I could potentially kill, have s somebody could die if I get it wrong. If I miss, if I don't catch the cancer, then I could, then somebody could die from that. So it took a lot of time for me to develop experience and show people who are more experienced than I am, who've been doing it for decades, to be able to learn what I know and what I don't know. Because in the very beginning, I didn't even know what I did not know. But as time goes on now, I've been doing it for some years, now I can tell when I look at something whether I know it or I don't know it. It's much easier. But in the beginning, I didn't even know what I didn't know. Does that make sense? Um, and so this, this spirit of discipleship and not, not knowing what I don't know, we should really keep that really in, in ourselves because we don't know, you know, it's, it's very easy to overlook our weaknesses and to be biased and um, overlook our ignorance and our limitations. And what's the first thing that Christ said in the Sermon on the Mount? He said, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So this, this being poor in spirit is, is realizing my poverty my inability to seek God on my own, my complete lack of knowledge, and the, ver the other, other desperate state that I'm in um, without God saving me and with me drowning in my sins without him saving me. So this is the, the beginning, is knowing our, our humble state and knowing our, our poorness in spirit, that we have no virtues, we have no love, and this can only be remedied by, by God ha having mercy on me. And this is the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. This is the beginning of Christ's ministry, and this is what he says. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Um, and this famous verse in Revelation 3, um, it's something that is always kind of a little scary. It says, because you say, so this is, this is Christ saying, speaking to, the ch to a church, the lukewarm church in the book of Revelation, he says, because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. So it's this idea of not knowing myself, this ignorance, not knowing that, I, that I'm miserable, wretched, miserable, poor, and blind, and naked. And it's in that pride, and it's in that lie, that I tell myself that I am rich, I am wealthy, and I have need of nothing. And it's very easy, I think, for myself to think that, okay, I'm, I feel like I'm very strong in this one area, and then I say, okay, I'm a successful person because I'm strong in this one area, for example. But we have to realize that there are a lot of aspects of our lives, and it's very easy to put more importance on something that I'm good at and put less importance on something that I'm not good at. Does that make sense? And in that sense, we work, I'm elevating myself and making myself feel that I'm accomplished and, and I'm successful because I'm elevating the things that I think are important 
but I'm downgrading the things that I, that I don't think are important. And that's true in a spiritual life. Somebody could say, well, I, you know, I know all the canons in the church and I know all the scripture readings and I don't need to look at any, I, I don't even need to look at the screen. And they think that's the, that's the greatest thing. But if their heart is not praying to God when they're saying those words uh, up there, then that's a huge problem. Because then how is that different than being a, a, you know, a cassette tape or a CD or MP3 player or whatever, you know? Like if there's no heart in it, then that, that's a huge deficiency, you know? Um, the same is true with if somebody who thinks they know the scripture so well. They know the scripture so well, but then, and they think they've reached this higher spiritual state, but then they realize, well, am I really applying it? Or how is that translated into my life? And so it's very easy in ourselves to puff ourselves up, to think that we've accomplished something, but we really have accomplished nothing. And well, we'll discuss that later. But it's this true sense of humility and this true sense of, and when I say humility, this humility is not convincing ourselves that we're bad. It's not convincing ourselves that, you know, it's not cons- convincing ourselves of something that's not true. This is something that's true. Humility is acknowledging the truth of myself. It's not, it's not just convincing myself that I'm bad when I'm really good. It's really acknowledging that I am weak and this, we- and this is a truth. This is truth. Second part, so we're going to discuss some examples of uh, sayings of early church uh, fathers and modern fathers on discipleship. So we read St. Paul says, but you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, and faith. So St. Paul says this to St. Timothy, near, to very close to, the, to his martyrdom. This, this is last, this is, I think this is St. Paul's last epistle that we have. So uh, this shows how St. Timothy was really paying very close attention and was really a pupil of St. Paul. And St. Paul didn't say, he di- and, and you have to keep in mind, St. Timothy at this time was a bishop. And so it's like, it's, it's one bishop, it's effectively one person saying to the bishop, like, you have, you, have fall- you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, and faith. This is an intentionality. This was, he, he spent so much time going through the, the, all the missionary journeys, or several missionary journeys. St. Saint- Timothy was St. Paul. And we see how St. Timothy was very carefully learning from him. And this is the spirit of discipleship. When we try to learn, spend, and take time carefully to learn from our spiritual mentors in order that we might grow um, uh, in our love of God. Um, and we, we also say, too, that St. Paul didn't say just, you know, he didn't just baptize them and say, okay, just God will teach you everything. Like, there was a sense of, we have to be trained in discipleship. Discipleship is a training, and this is something that, that's, in, that, that's intentional, and it's the same thing is true in the world. We don't just, you know, willy-nilly just grow and say, okay, I'm going to, you know, be this really successful businessman. Like I said, we have to surround ourselves by people who, know what, who have done this before, who know what they're doing, and we have to intentionally try to learn, and that's, that's really a crucial aspect of discipleship. Um, we also see St. Paul says, Imitate me as I also imitate Christ. Um, so when we're, when we're submitting ourselves to our spiritual father in discipleship, we're submitting ourselves to be their disciple in order to be um, a disciple of Christ. So he says, imitate me as I also imitate Christ. And that's the model for us. And he says, 
uh, St. John says, he who says he abides in him ought to himself also walk as he walked. And this is a very, very, very convicting verse. He who says he abides in him ought to himself also walk as he walked. That's a really, really, really high calling. I mean, when Christ says, be holy for I am holy, that is a very lofty, unattainable calling for us by ourselves. It's unattainable by ourselves. Now, who of us can tell ourselves, oh, I can be a disciple of Christ and I could abide in him and I'll be able to walk as God walked on this earth? Because that's, that's the calling. The calling is to walk as Christ walked on the church, in, in the world. Can we, thi- can we convince ourselves that we can do that by ourselves without any guidance? We're going to convince ourselves that we can walk as God walked on the earth without any guidance? That, 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 that's just absurdity. So just some examples of um, discipleship and the spirit of discipleship. So at St. Athanasius, the apostolic, was a disciple of St. Anthony. When Saint, um, So he's the, he, I mean, St. Anthony, he was an incredibly powerful spiritual person of his day, very incredible, one of the most you know, preeminent fathers um, in, in all Christian, uh, Christendom. Um, and he went to the desert after his, um, after his ordination, and he still got guidance from his spiritual father, St. Anthony. So there's no sen- there was never a sense of, in him of, okay, I've, I've reached a spiritual rank, and now I don't need any advice. And uh, and Saint Anth- and Saint Anthony has nothing to add to me. Like even though he was the most preeminent person probably in all Christendom, besides Saint Paul, um, as far as inf- as far as far as being very influential in the church in the early church, um, he still had this humble spirit to get guidance from his spiritual father, which is who was Saint Anthony. Um, so we also hear this is a lesson on story. So we hear about Saint Macarius the Great. So his icon is over here. Um, so he. Um, he asked for a word of advice from, from young Zechariah. So he was this boy. And so the boy said, the boy was amazed and said to him, are you father who are the star of the desert? So he's the star of the desert. And he was known like that at that point. Not even, we're talking about at that time. It's one thing to be known as a star like later on, you know, after many, many years and many decades after the person has departed. But he was, he was so influential in his life that he was considered the star of the desert. St. Macarios, and he said, um, he said, are you father who are the star of the desert and its light asking me a young boy for help? And St. Macarios replied humbly, I trust my son in the Holy Spirit who is in you, sorry, H is not capitalized, who is in you, that you have something which I need to know. So he had this, St. Macarios had such a humble spirit that he didn't say that, oh, I can't learn anything from this person or that person. He had a spirit of discipleship. This is the spirit of discipleship, that, you, that we're fertile ground from which we can get seeds of encouragement and seeds of an example that we can, that we can take and grow in ourselves. And we also see the same is true um, with St. Anthony, when we th- just mentioned St. Anthony. St. Anthony, in the, in the beginning of his, uh, of his monastic journey, they say that he went to different hermits, in different places, and he said, you know, he would, t- he would learn different virtues from different, from different ascetics. He'd learn humbleness here, and patience here, and, um, and some other virtue here. And they say that he was like a bee going, getting nectar from different flowers. And this is the spirit of discipleship, where we try to, where we look at each, where we look at our spiritual father, and also each other, 
and we try to we see the virtues that that others have and we try to assimilate those in ourselves and ask God to help us learn to assimilate those in ourselves. So this is the spirit of discipleship. So just some practical tidbits on discipleship. Okay. Um, so when we talk about going to our spiritual father and asking for advice or guidance, um, we should ask God to give our guide the right thoughts and to guide our spiritual guide to guide us correctly. So that's one thing. Um, and this is, this is ultimately asking for God's will to be done in our life. Um, the second thing, c- kind of tidbit, is um, to call our spiritual father when there's a, per- a period of difficulty coming. So I think we all know well, we should know, have some sense of our weaknesses and like the, the situations in which we fall or where our sp- we're spiritually lax. The only thing that comes to mind is um, like if I know if I'm traveling, for example, like I may have difficulty maintaining my fast, you know, in the airplane, in the airport, you know, there may not be fasting food um, or keeping spiritual canons, you know, when I'm traveling or like reading and pray or reading in prayer or neglecting the liturgy on Sunday, even though I have nothing going on on Sunday, wherever I'm traveling. Um, so if I know that, that that period of difficulty is coming, then I should call my spiritual father and ask for advice, and to give them a heads up, like, hey, I usually have trouble at this time. Beforehand, you know, can you give me advice? And I, need, I need encouragement so that this is not a bad time for me, you know? Just some, some kind of ways that we can benefit from our spiritual father and get, um, get advice from them. Um, some other tidbits um, when the, talking to our spiritual fa- uh, father or mother. Um, so this was this is based on the book, this point here, discussing the positives, and I'll just show the book in the end. Um, but in the book, uh, we uh, he says this priest says it's important to tell our f- when we're talking to our spiritual father to tell our spiritual father the positive things that are happening. Um, well, one, we could, be, we could be praising God. If it's something that's good, we could be praising God. We'll be praising God for something that's good, right? Um, but, if, but if we're happy about something that we shouldn't be happy about, then that's a problem. Um, like, like, for example, like I got my, like, it may, like for an example would be like I got my way in something. Even though we may not consider it, it may not be as obvious to ourselves as I got my way, but in the end, it's I got my way, this is why I'm happy. Um, which is a wrong reason to be happy about something. Um, and we, we see this uh, with, with Christ. He says, after the limited commission, after Christ sent out the 72, and the 72 came back, he says, um, nevertheless, do not rejoice. And, and the disciples said, oh, well, we saw Satan um, falling, from he- falling like lightning from heaven, and the spirits are subject to us. And they were very happy about that. And this is Christ's response. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this. So they were happy for the wrong reason. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. And this is a saying um, from this, it's the, called the Garden of the Monks. It's like a handbook of sayings of the early church fathers and mothers. It says, um, this is like a guidance for spiritual fathers. It says, if you find a young man climbing to heaven on the strength of his own fancies, pull him back down to earth. So we see like this person, this young person who feels that they're climbing, you know, they're growing so rapidly and they're doing it, but they're doing it on their own strength. This will lead to pride. And then, and then this is a very dangerous, 
situation. And so the, the guidance is for the spiritual father to pull them back down to earth so that they'll be kept safe from pride. So we have to be very, very careful when we're discussing, when we're so, you know, kind of feeling good about, like overly, I don't know how to say it, but we're feeling overly optim. I don't want to misspeak, but there's a sense in which we have to be careful that we're not falling into pride because of any progress that we think we may be having. And that's why it's important, to, that's one very important reason to involve a spiritual father so that we won't fall into the most grave of, of all the sins, which is pride. Um, another tidbit is before talking to a spiritual father, be prepared to receive a word. And we see this when we say, stand up in the fear of God before the Holy Gospel. Um, so we, when there's a sense of sobriety, you know, and before we re before we hear the gospel, we should be very sober, because why? We should have the fear of God. Why? Because we will be judged for neglecting or ignoring God's word and not applying it, um, and we'll be judged more strictly if we hear it and we don't apply it. And so there's this sense of sobriety that we should have when we hear the gospel, and there's a sense of seriousness before we talk to our spiritual father. We can't just, we should not, you know, be at a parade or be wherever at a carnival and say, oh, it's my time for conf to confess. I'm going to go step away for like three seconds and come back. Like there should be a sense of seriousness and sobriety and preparation and quieting myself before I talk to my spiritual father. Um, and that, that point's kind of repeated. You know, the, eye is the, the ear is not the only means of learning, but the eye is too. So learning from our spiritual fathers, and seeing their example and seeing their humility or whatever virtue that they have will be something that we can um, absorb and learn from. Um, another point too is discipleship can be through books. So like for example, when we talk about back here, so this is a very... Ex a recent example of two very influential people in our church um, in which there was discipleship. So Pope Krolos uh, discipled Pope Shnuda. He discipled Matthew the Poor. He discipled, uh, Pope Krolos discipled a few other very influential people uh, in, in our church the last century. And um, all of them, or I think at least three or four of them um, of the spiritual fathers, they read a lot, you know, uh, read extensively on St. Isaac the Syrian which you could say is almost like a discipleship. So they were reading, you know, I think Pope Carlos, for example, St. Isaac the Syrian, he's this, he's this monk from the 7th century, 8th century, and he has a huge lit, like, lit book like this thick, 600 pages, on sayings and a spiritual life. And they say Pope Carlos, he would transcribe the, he transcribed the book like, six or, like five or six times by hand. And they say that even in his cell, I think it was in his cell, where he had sayings of St. Isaac, like, I'm not sure if it was engraved or written down on pieces of paper on the, on the walls of his cell, because he saw, he saw how very powerful and how much truth there was in these sayings. So it was almost as if you could say that Pope Carlos was, was discipled by St. Isaac the Syrian, for example. So we can be discipled by books, but the thing is that we have to be very careful what books we read, because if we're reading a book from somebody who has wrong theological beliefs, then we're going to have we're going to inherit those theological beliefs, in incorrect theological beliefs, and one set of s books that's fantastic, I think, just to learn have have the right perspective on er on many things in life, 
It's Pup Shenouda's books. We have dozens and dozens and dozens of books from Pup Shenouda in English, and they're free online, and they're so simple to read. The language is very simple. The... Um, like the, the the way the sentences are structured, very simple. The word lang- the words are spiritual, uh, very simple. The the books are not terribly long. The font is very big. Like they're f- it's free, and it's very profound. It's profound truth in these simple words, and we could learn so much from him, and become as a disciple as one of his disciples when we read his books, and assimilate his mindset and assimilate his spirit when we read his books. Um. Okay, discussing what discipleship is not. So discipleship is not creating a carbon copy of one person because one person does not, have, does not encompass all the virtues and we all have faults. Um, so discipleship is not making you know, a carbon copy of somebody else. Um, so if my father of confession is an introvert, doesn't mean I need to be an introvert, for example. Or you, know, you can use d- many different examples. Um, and... Let's see. Okay, second point. Discipleship is not destroying the character or uniqueness of a disciple. It's the contrary. So being a disciple of, of a spiritual father <coughs> is, um, it doesn't mean that I lose my individu- individuality. It's actually the contrary. It, it's allowing me to be the person who God has made me to be in Christ. So it allows me to be who I am in Christ without the sin. And we see this in, in St. Paul. He said, St. Paul, before he was a Christian, he was known for having a lot of zeal, and he was persecuting the church, and he, and he says he, had, he, he grew in his religion beyond all his contemporaries. But a, and after his conversion, when he became a Christian, became a disciple of Christ, this zeal was still intact. So this zealous spirit, this fiery spirit that he had before he became a Christian, he was able to use it in the right way once he became a disciple of Christ. So discipleship is not a destroying of our character or, but it, or uniqueness, but it's, it's allowing us to be who God has made us to be um, in Christ. And we don't lose our individuality in that. The last point is um, we should not consider consider our spiritual father as merely a means of implementing our spiritual desires. So um, sometimes it's very easy to say, okay, father, I'm going to, well, I guess most, yeah, I mean, you know, it's very easy to, to have something that have some agenda when we talk to our spiritual father and say, oh, I have this great idea. I'm going to, I'm going to, I have this job, you know, proposition. It's going to allow me to, you know, make so much more money, but, uh, but it's going to take, you know, 20 hours more a week of my of um of my time and then we try to sell this to our spiritual father and we present it in a way that as we're like almost selling it to him to like get it get the approval or to get the blessing when really we're not we're not being really trying to get his advice or trying to get his um you know his just effectively getting his device advice from this but really telling him our agenda, agenda, um, and that's that's not the right way of approaching it. We should really come to our spiritual father, knowing our limitations and knowing our our perspective is is not always right. Um, and this was actually a point I I missed earlier. Um, is that when we, you know, 
really emphasize that we are not we should not feel that we're the standard of right and wrong. Like in our society today, you know, we we always hear we hear many times that the customer is always right, like in business. And this has led to the idea that okay, well, you know, from my perspective is going to be right and and I should accept it without, you know, accept it as as gospel. But really we should we should look at ourselves with some sense of scrutiny and not trust without without um discretion the things that we think and that that um come to mind because oftentimes what we think is incorrect and we should not just assume that just because something that came to mind is correct um so we should have some level of of skepticism with our thoughts if that makes sense and that's something that um we had when we had the arc a couple months ago we were talking from this uh, we were reading from this book um on this Eastern Orthodox saint who was talking about raising children, and he said he said something that I thought that was very I thought was very profound. He said, "Teach your children to not trust their impulses. They should have some sense of I don't know. I should ask, and that's something that we kind of appreciate as adults. Just because my son see you know my son sees water." See something doesn't mean he should go run to it, right? There should be a sense of chaining our children of the need to ask before embarking on something that they're not sure about. Does that make sense? And that's something that we should also assimilate in ourselves is that just because something is imp- that's because something is an impulse for us to do, we should look at ourselves with some scrutiny and some skepticism and asking if if this is God's will or not. Just because it's something I desire doesn't mean it's it's um, something that's goes well. Um, so these are the books that I use to prepare for this. The, the book on the right is is pretty practical. It's from a I think he's Orthodox. I mean he's Orthodox, but I'm not sure. I think he's Coptic. Um, it's fa- from Father Anthony Paul. It's very practical and it's very nice, very helpful um, way to approach our spiritual father and approach confession. Um, and it's it's it's. It's not terribly long, and the language is very simple, and there's a book on discipleship by Pope Shenouda. Um, any questions or comments? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Thank you, O Lord, for bringing us to this hour, allowing us, allowing us to come to your church. Please, O Lord, allow us to assimilate the spirit of discipleship and the spirit of humility and allow us to be molded by you and allow us to be in, imbued with your, with your grace and with your Holy Spirit so that we might be conformed to your image. We might be with you forever and eternity. Through the intercession of St. Mary, St. Paul, and all your saints, make us worthy to pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus, our Lord, that is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen.